Welcome to God Knows Where. I'm Brett Harris. I'm glad you're here. We just wrapped our first series called I Didn't Say That, and I know I've previewed a little bit over the last couple weeks about the next series. You've never read this, but today we're in between. There's a lot that I want to cover in the next series, and truthfully, I haven't had the time to make it happen. It's summer, and I've danced dangerously close to forgetting that there's only so much time I get to spend with my kids. So, you've never read this, we'll be here soon, but this week, and and maybe for another week or so, I want to share some sermons from my time in the pulpit that I was scared to preach at the moment, because I, I took a look at scriptures that we thought we knew, that we had read many, many times, but that I couldn't look at the same way anymore. Today's is from Genesis, it's Abraham and Isaac, it's an awful story. I'll read it in a bit, and then I'll share my thoughts with you. So keep sharing and reviewing the show wherever you listen. I love reading it. I love talking with you all about the show. Do that wherever you listen and on social media. It makes it so much easier for folks to find God knows where. And I hope that you, too, are having a good summer and that you enjoy today's episode, Green Eggs and Abraham. A selection from Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and as he took the knife to kill his son, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. I feel about this story the way Dr. Seuss's character feels about green eggs and ham. I do not like it in a box. I do not like it with a fox. I do not like it on a boat. I do not like it with a goat. This story is the green eggs and ham of the Bible. Most people don't like what's being offered here, and if you do or if you are okay with it, then a lot of people have a lot of questions for you. And this story brings up so many questions, many of which are unanswerable to us. And most of the answers that we come up with to those questions force us to add something that isn't in the original story just to make it make sense. That Isaac somehow was in on the whole idea or that Sarah chased after them with a ram and threw it in the thicket just in time. We do all this to make ourselves comfortable with an awful story. But this isn't a story that's supposed to make us feel comfortable We're not supposed to be comforted by it. And yet, even in our discomfort, I promise you, there is good news in this story. It's just not what we think. 
The only thing that we can add to the story without changing the plot and the dialogue and the choices the characters make is their motive. Why are they doing what they do? We don't get any stage directions in the scripture, so we have to determine their motive on our own. And the easiest way to do that is to look at what the characters, including God, have done up to this point. We can only assume that past behavior is an indicator of future behavior, so what have these characters done before we meet them here today? God's already promised Abraham that he will be the father of many nations. God's already delivered on the promise that Sarah will give birth to a son. God made everything and called it good in the first chapter of Genesis. And God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden and asked them questions. And even when God got so disappointed in his creation, God put a rainbow in the sky as a reminder for God to never destroy the creation that God loved and made ever again. And Abraham, for his part, has been faithful. He's gone where God has led him. He's trusted what he could not see or understand. He's been nothing but devoted to God's call. So why do we end up here with a God who has repeatedly chosen forgiveness and connection over vengeance and distance, telling this faithful guy to take his son up a mountain to sacrifice him? This isn't a test of Abraham's faith. I think it's a test of his relationship with God. I think God is unsure of how close they are to each other. God wants to know whether or not God has finally found with Abraham what never came to be with Adam and Eve and all the others before. God thinks Abraham's the guy, and God wants to be sure about it. It's kind of like an early date that I had with Elizabeth. I think Elizabeth was sure that I was the guy, and I know that I was sure that she was the woman that I wanted to marry, and we were on a date, and we were having dinner together, and I looked over, and I saw that she had some sour cream or or something on her face, and I said, hey, uh, you got a little something on her face, and she said, what? And she took her spoon or fork, I don't remember, she took a utensil, and she smeared more of whatever it was all over her face, and I think she was waiting for my reaction. And I laughed. And then we were both sure in that silly moment that we were made for each other. I think God makes this horrible request of Abraham because God believes that they are so close, that they are right for each other, that they're so close that Abraham will say no, that Abraham will point out how it goes against everything God has done before. And God will breathe a sigh of relief and go on blessing Abraham and his family. But Abraham doesn't say no. He says okay. He feared God literally. We read feared God and think it's awe or piety or whatever, but that's not what God wants. God doesn't want awe. God doesn't want piety. Don't the prophets tell us that burnt offerings are meaningless? God desires our heart, and God certainly doesn't demand fear. I mean, I can't believe that any God who wants in on creation, who makes a mistake and puts a sign in the sky as a reminder not to make that mistake again, who blesses a barren family with a child later in life, wants to be feared. I have to believe that that God, our God, wants a relationship. And what is a relationship but a space 
where we can be honest with each other, where we can bring our questions and our fears and our doubts and lay them out without fear of judgment or alienation. I mean, no healthy relationship is ever built on one side always doing what the other wants. God tests Abraham because God wants to see if they can be honest with each other. And Abraham makes it plainly clear that they cannot. Sure, Abraham has faith, but it's a faith that believes that if he doesn't do everything God says, if he doesn't say yes all the time, then God will punish him or remove a blessing or whatever. It's a transactional faith and it's all about Abraham and what he gets out of it, what's in it for him if he does these things. And yes, God does say, I will bless you, Abraham, for obeying my words after he's put Isaac on the altar. But guess what? After that day, Abraham and Isaac never speak to each other again. The only thing Abraham does for Isaac is send some folks out to find him a wife after his mother dies. And we never hear from Sarah ever again in the scriptures. Abraham cries over her, but we never hear any more stories or prayers or anything from this family together again. God blessed him, but for what? Abraham got what he wanted, but look at what it cost him. And not just him, but Isaac too, and Esau, and Jacob's sons, and every generation on down the line. Yes, there is blessing, and yes, There are generations of descendants, but there are generations of descendants who continue to bear the trauma of the past in the present. What might have happened? How much less pain for a lot of folks would there be if Abraham had quoted meatloaf instead? I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. If there's anything to learn from this story, it's that we can't sacrifice the hope of our future for our comfort in the present and expect everything to just be fine. We can't say yes to what we want to happen if it requires someone else's pain. We might get all the blessings God promised us, but we will end up empty and estranged from everyone around us. I saw a meme on the internet the other day of a a cat who had gotten trapped in one of those self-dispensing food bowls, and the caption on it said, He has it all, but it cost him everything. He lost his freedom going to get all that food, and it's not that different here with Abraham. When we look at this story this way, as God not demanding blind faith, but rather hoping for a close relationship with humanity. It becomes a metaphor without whitewashing all the discomfort out of it. It becomes a metaphor for a lot of things, but especially for the church. I read an article by Rob Dyer, a Presbyterian minister, entitled, They Aren't Coming Back. It was all about how for decades we said that all those who left the church and never wanted to speak about it or be about it ever again, oh, they'll, they'll come back. They'll come back when they get married or they'll come back when they have kids or they'll come back after COVID or whatever, but they haven't. And he argued that they won't come back 
unless the church acknowledges why so many have left and works towards healing their wounds. Dyer claimed that many have been traumatized, not just by the experience of the pandemic or by the general trajectory of our society, but also by religion, by the things we in the church have clung to, ideas and practices and structures and theologies. These things that we've clung to because they're what we know and we've been afraid of what might happen if we let go of them or, or if we said no or if we ended up saying yes to something else. There are a lot of Isaacs out there who wish Abraham would have said, what am I supposed to do? Instead of, that'll work for me. There are a lot of Isaacs out there who've been hurt by our uneasiness with risking what we want for what God has promised, our discomfort with letting go of all we've ever known in exchange for all that we could ever imagine. If we want to bring healing into the world, into all the places where pain and suffering and even ambivalence have taken root, then we have to do what Abraham couldn't. We have to start difficult conversations and ask big, hard questions, even of God. We have to get close enough to God and trust that the God who called us good from the start and promised never to hurt us again wants to be close to us too. We have to give God the relationship with us that God has always wanted. That's what God got with Jesus, and that's what God wants with us. I promised you good news at the beginning, so here it is. God was trying to see if the relationships that were strained by others could be renewed by Abraham. God wants the messiness of a real relationship full of big questions and ugly crying and two sides of a whole community dropping all the pretense and piety and saying, can I just be honest with you? I'm not sure about that. And, and sometimes there's yelling and anger, but underneath it all and beyond it and within it, there is nothing but love. I'd rather risk God being upset with me for saying no to a ludicrous request than end up empty and estranged from the hope God's promised me because I was too afraid to ask or unwilling to get so close to God that I knew I could ask. I feel that way because I know God loves us enough to forgive us if we need forgiving and that all God wants is to be so close to us that we can be honest about everything, even the things we're unsure of. And when I think about this story this way, I can start to think I might like green eggs and ham. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife, Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It will mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never 
to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.